You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Amen. Uh, we're going to dive right into our text for today that we just heard Kate read. Uh, if you've got a Bible, flip open to Matthew chapter 6. We'll start in verse 19. Uh, my name is John Ludovina. I'm one of our downtown pastors. Uh, and what we had originally done is we'd originally planned to break this passage into two weeks. It's a pretty familiar text uh, with a bunch of different things and topics and chunks you could preach from. Uh, but the truth is these two chunks we were going to break it into, they're really interwoven. So what we're going to do is we're just going to spend two weeks on this larger passage and kind of treat it together. Uh, Jesus is continuing to teach the theme that we've been seeing him teach on the past few weeks in the Sermon on the Mount. Do you want, do you do what you do for God and his kingdom, or do you do what you do for some other benefit, to be noticed by people, to be respected, something like that? Today, we're going to see him shift his focus to money and to anxiety, and that's where we're picking it up in verse 19. Here we go, Matthew 6, verse 19. I'm going to kind of quickly skim read through the passage. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is a, a pretty well-known passage, and the big idea here that Jesus gets at is that our heart and our money, our treasure, are connected. Our, our money naturally flows and exposes what we really love most. Well, we're going to unpack that a little bit more next week. Keep going, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So for us as, as modern Westerners, this is a really confusing metaphor uh, that like the first part, we're gonna unpack that more next week. Keep going, verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So once again, a pretty familiar passage where Jesus is pressing on the idea that what our heart loves is where our money goes. Our heart can't be ultimately divided, serving two different gods or masters. Only one can be our true master. Now, now note this in verse 25, because this is really important. Verse 25 starts, therefore, all right? That word, therefore, is telling us that everything we just read is connected to everything we're about to read. They're not disconnected, they're interwoven. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So everything he was just saying about money, therefore, is connected to what he's about to say about anxiety, he continues with this really famous, often quoted and referenced teaching that we'll just kind of skip over where he says, look at the lilies, look at the sparrows, God feeds them and he clothes them. Don't you know that he cares more about you than birds and flowers in the field? And this is a little bit of a random nugget, but I, I get stuck on things. So I was just curious how many birds there are in the world and some scientists actually did the research and they estimated that there are more than 400 billion birds in the world. 
And I know there's some internet trash nonsense that birds don't exist and they're all robot drones, but that's not true. There are actually more than 400 billion birds in the world and God is pleasantly feeding them all. All right, we'll pick it back up in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So in these two weeks, we're going to focus on the command that Jesus actually repeats three times in this passage. First, in verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Again, in verse 31, he says, do not be anxious. And then finally, in verse 34, he says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. A little pro tip for you. Anytime Jesus repeats a command three times in 10 verses, it's a big deal to him. It's serious what he's saying. We're calling these two weeks the age of anxiety, part one and part two. Very creative. And, um, and because anxiety is such a big and broad term, I want to start with a little illustration for how I think about anxiety. I hope this will just clarify things. This isn't clinical or professional from a book somewhere. It's actually trademarked. I invented it. Um, and it's just a helpful illustration for me that sums up years of biblical and pastoral and personal experience with anxiety. I call it the anxiety mountain. There it is. You're welcome. And here's how I think about anxiety, all right? Um, at, the, at the bottom of the mountain, down here, it's the broadest and it's the easiest to climb. Almost everybody, pretty much everyone deals with some amount of common anxiety. You don't have to climb very high. This is just normal day-to-day worried or anxious thoughts and feelings that everybody deals with sometimes. Little fears, little nagging thoughts. I hope that's gonna be okay. I hope she's all right. Just nothing big, okay? Some of you, you make it past common anxiety. You graduate to level two, which we would call more intense anxiety. So this is not necessarily clinical yet. There's not necessarily a diagnosis, but this is a more intense season of anxiety. This is not just a fleeting worry or thought that you can deal with and move on and pray about it and you're done with it. This is like you're kind of stuck in it. And it maybe it goes on for weeks or even months. This is a more intense deal than level one. And then for the few, the proud, the real overachievers in the group, we make it all the way to the top where you get anxiety disorders. Okay, so this is now clinical, diagnosed by a healthcare professional. This is things like panic disorders, intense phobias, OCD, social anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder. This is where stuff, I mean, just like at the top of a mountain, things are cold and lonely up here and it's dangerous. All right, once you get into anxiety disorders, we've got some real risk of harm. But what we're talking about today and what Jesus has to say affects and applies to all of us, no matter where you're at on the mountain. It it applies to everybody. Now up here, you may need some extra help compared to just the stuff that Jesus is really going to talk about today. But the point is, it still matters for all of us. And honestly, this command, this thing, this idea he's talking about with anxiety, it applies to us massively as modern Westerners because anxiety is is everywhere. So I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but like just when we talk about the top of the mountain, um, the ADAA, which is the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, uh, they report, their research shows that anxiety 
anxiety disorders are now the most common mental illness in America. More than 40 million Americans 18 and older are affected. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, uh, the the numbers work out to 19.1% of adults in America deal with some kind of anxiety disorder or have dealt with one in the last year. That's almost one in five people. That's a huge amount of people. And their research showed that 31.1% of American adults experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. That's one in three. That's incredibly common. And it's also interesting that the research shows anxiety disorders are really treatable, but only about 36.9% of those suffering are receiving treatment. So as much as we've done to destigmatize mental disorders and anxiety disorders, there's still a lot of people out there suffering alone without any help. And then as our family discipleship pastor, I'm always really interested in how this affects our kids and our teenagers. The kid research is kind of hard to do, but the National Institute of Mental Health with adolescents found that 31.9% of those aged 13 to 18 deal with anxiety disorders. And it's almost a third. And it's really dangerous because serious anxiety and disorders can directly, they're directly tied to suicide, which has grown drastically in the past 20 years. It's now the second highest cause of death for people aged 15 to 24. And that's just the top of the mountain. So if that many people are climbing all the way up, how many more people are dealing with this and how many more people are dealing with this? Man, anxiety is everywhere. Now, let me give you a little bit of my personal backstory with anxiety. For the first 25 years of my life or so, anxiety was really a stranger. It was pretty foreign to me. Uh, I am, by personality, I'm very laid back. I'm type B. I love to just go with the flow. Uh, and then I married my incredible wife, Erica. And in marrying Erica, for the first time, I got to kind of see intense anxiety and some anxiety disorders up close and personal. Uh, And I really didn't understand, if I'm being honest. So Erica would be having like a rough day, and I, being the gracious, supportive, godly husband that I am, I would like lovingly engage her, and I'd be like, yo, girl, what's wrong with you? And then eventually, she would say, you know, like, I think I'm a little anxious. And I would think, oh, good, now we know what's wrong. You're anxious. What are you anxious about? And she would say, I'm not anxious about anything. And I would run into another room and break something. And then I would come back and I would say, no, honey, I don't think you understand how anxiety works. You have to be anxious about something because then I can fix whatever it is you're anxious about. And by doing so, I'll fix your anxiety and we'll both realize that I really am a hero. Wouldn't that be great? And the truth is that arrogantly and ignorantly, I thought I knew how anxiety worked better than my wife who has dealt with it her entire life. And the truth is I was dead wrong. I learned this the hard way. In the fall of 2018, I had just finished a wonderful three-month sabbatical. My wife, Erica, and I took a dream vacation up the West Coast, driving from San Francisco all the way to Seattle with no kids. It was incredibly relaxing and wonderful. I got back to Columbia. I was ready to get back to work and preaching in our church family, and something just broke in me. Anxiety skyrocketed. I started losing sleep. I would wake up in the middle of the night feeling like I was having a heart attack, thinking about nothing, feeling like I had just run a marathon. 
adrenaline surging, anxious in my bones. I started having intense, so, intense social anxiety, which I'm a huge people person, and it was very weird to suddenly be terrified to walk into rooms with people I loved, wondering, oh, they don't want me in there. I'm going to bother everybody. I'm going to mess everything up. My anxiety really peaked with uh, some really dark, painful, and eventually suicidal thoughts. I just couldn't take it. I, I was drowning in anxiety that was outside of my mental or my physical or my spiritual control. So, so I don't know what your experience with the anxiety mountain is. You may be here right now, or maybe you've been here before and you know all about the mountain. You may be down here where I spent most of the first 25 years of my life. And when people talk about anxiety, you're like, I don't really get it. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, sure, I get worried every now and then. And then I pray about it and I just move on. Wherever you are on the mountain, what Jesus has to say to us today is really helpful. And statistically speaking, as modern Americans, you or someone you love is likely going to deal with some more intense or even some clinical diagnosed anxiety at some point in your life. So it's good for all of us to know about it so that we can love people well who are dealing with the more intense versions of it. Here's what we're gonna do for the two weeks. Today, we're gonna mostly just unpack the reality of anxiety, the problem that it is. We're gonna try to get what Jesus is talking about to fully understand how big of an issue it is, what it is, how it works. Next week, we'll talk more about what to do about it. So today I don't have a ton of solution. We'll get more into that next week. Today we'll just talk about the reality of what it is. Here we go, point number one. Anxiety is a multifaceted, invasive part of human existence. Anxiety is a multifaceted, invasive part of human existence. I'll tell you how we start to see that right away in the passage. Did you notice that Jesus did not say, if you deal with intense anxiety, then I have some things to say to you. He didn't say, if you ever find yourself in a season of intense anxiety or disorder, then this is true. No, no, no. He says, do not be anxious. He just goes ahead and assumes that all of us at times will deal with common anxiety and worry and fear. He assumes it because he knows that it is a part of human reality. It's just part of life. Ever since Genesis 3, when humanity declared independence from God's good rule and reign. And biblically speaking, in reality in life, anxiety can show up in all, of, all kinds of ways. It can be really specific about something, or it can just be kind of more broad. I see this in the passage where uh, he touches on both of them. So in verse 25 and 31, he talks about these really specific anxieties of what am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Am I going to have enough money to pay the bills? Will my basic necessities be met? That's really specific. But then he also says, don't be anxious about your life in verse 25. Well, that's a lot more broad. That's just kind of everything. And then in verse 34, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow. That's not a specific anxiety or worry. That's broad. That's just kind of, I'm anxious about it all. I don't know what's going on. It can be really specific. It can be really broad. Um, sometimes, I think a lot of times anxious thoughts show up when we, when, uh, in negative questions that start with the words, what if? What if is a little red flag that you might be dealing with anxious thoughts. Uh, what if I lose my job? What if I don't get the job? What if this pain is actually a really bad disease and I'm just waiting for the diagnosis? What if I can't pay this medical bill? What if this relationship doesn't work out? What if our marriage is never any better than this? What if we never have kids? What if our kids don't have friends? 
What if our kids' friends are really bad influences? I mean, it just goes on and on. Whatever stage of life you're in, wherever you're at, the what ifs can just become really overwhelming. What if the kids never move out? Ah, it's the biggest one of all for parents, okay? And other times, our anxious thoughts are just much more broad. What if my life just doesn't turn out how I want? That's not specific. What if I'm always this kind of person What if I never become who I want to be? What if I'm never done with some sin issue or general shame or feeling like I'm not good enough? What if I'm always a little bit lonely even when I'm with my best friends? Sometimes our anxiety and fear live in the mind. So sometimes anxiety is very mental and cognitive. It's specific thoughts like here in the passage. Uh, Other times it's really our emotions. So Proverbs 12, 12 says an anxious heart weighs a man down. Well, that's not just about your thoughts, that's your heart. And it, it even hints at the next part that anxiety sometimes can be physical in the body, not just mental, not just emotional, but physical. It can actually weigh your physical body down. We see this with Jesus in the garden when he's, when he's coming face to face with his false trial and the crucifixion. And, and here's what Luke twenty two forty four says. Luke twenty two forty four says, and being in agony, that's intense anxiety, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood. His agony, his worry, his anxiety about the upcoming days, is, it's literally having a physical effect on his body. Proverbs 3 says that when we trust in the Lord, instead of anxiously relying on our own understanding, it brings healing to our bodies and refreshment to our bones. Anxiety can be a physical thing. I, I got to see this with Erica. When we were in our first few years of marriage, we had to call the doctor multiple times because we thought she was having a heart attack. She wasn't. It was physical anxiety that we would sometimes call stress, putting tightness and pain in her chest, which is a terrible thing to feel when you're already stressed out. Oh no, am I having a heart attack? No, you're just stressed. Great, good news, thanks. I can tell the difference. I won't worry anymore. It's brutal. Along with being mental, emotional, and physical, anxiety can focus on the past, the present, or the future. So a lot of Matthew 6, Jesus focuses on kind of future-based anxiety, but anxiety can also be focused towards the, the past, which we tend to call regret or shame. Why did I do that? Oh, why did I say that? I'm so stupid. Why did that, why did that bad thing happen to me? Well, anxiety pointed at your past. You, you see it with, uh, with Peter. After he de- denies Jesus three times, Luke twenty two sixty two 62, says he realized it and he went out and wept bitterly. He wept anxious tears. We can also have anxiety towards the present, which is just this nagging sense that something's wrong. She hasn't texted in a few days. Does she hate me? You're always wondering what's about to break. I heard one author who described it as constantly hearing the low bass notes from Jaws and you're just looking around for the fin. Something's about to break. Something's about to go wrong. One of my children, man, he just deals with a lot of anxiety. And I mean, just every day you'll just notice if he's upset about something or if he doesn't know the plan, his, his little hands will be under the table just stressing out. Just what's going on? Something's about to go wrong. I'm not in control. Oh, I don't like it. And then there's this whole other aspect of anxiety that is kind of more existential and metaphysical. It's almost nothing to do about anything concrete. It's just about the world. So Romans 8 talks about it and calls it groaning, that creation itself and we as individuals are groaning, longing for a world that is put back together and not broken anymore. 
There's a German existentialist philosopher named Martin Heidegger and, and some of his other German existentialist buddies had this incredible word, Geworfenheit. Geworfenheit. It, it means thrownness or, or being off kilter. Like, like, like the whole world has no rhyme or reason. We, we feel this a lot when there's senseless tragedy. The, the ultramarathon 35-year-old guy drops dead of a heart attack and you're going, that doesn't make any sense. That's I feel thrown. That's off kilter. A lot of 2020 has felt very Gavorfenheit. Amen? It's off kilter. Something's wrong here. Whatever stage you're in, school is off kilter. Parenting's out of whack. Work is weird. Nothing is quite normal. The truth is we don't need a year like 2020 to feel that way. All of us at different times feel this existential groaning. What's wrong with this place? What's wrong with me? So here's the point. Anxiety is multifaceted. It's everywhere. It can show up in all different kinds of seasons. Sometimes you're in terrible circumstances and you feel great. Other times you're in wonderful seasons and you, circumstances and you feel terrible. Anxiety is this invasive reality because of sin that affects our minds, our hearts, and even our bodies at times. Which leads us to number two. Start to diagnose it a little bit more. Our big point number two is that in some ways, anxiety is telling us the truth about reality. In some ways, anxiety is telling us the truth about life in a broken, sin-riddled planet. Um, there's a, a doctor and author named Henry Cloud who says that anxiety and, and a lot of other emotions that are like indicator lights on a dashboard telling you that something is going on underneath with your car. And he continues the illustration. He says, putting a little bit of duct tape on it is not going to fix anything. The problem's just gonna get worse. See, sometimes we think that we should just suppress our anxiety, suppress my worried thoughts, suppress my concerns, act like they're not there. That doesn't fix anything, that just makes it worse when the truth is they're trying to tell you something is off. So that existential, gnawing, metaphysical, height, something's wrong with me and the world, that's actually telling you the truth. Romans 8 says that's a reality of sin. And that until Jesus makes everything right, you're going to wrestle with that sometime. The key is not to suppress it, but to press into it and to find Jesus in the midst of it. The, the anxious sense of feeling out of control, like something bad could happen at any moment, I'm not trying to stress you out, but that's actually true, isn't it? We, we really aren't as in control as we'd like to think we are. Jesus points this out in verse 27 when he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? What he's saying is, listen, who has been keeping your life going all of these years? It wasn't you. You think you're gonna add extra hours now? Now he's not saying that there aren't foolish things we can do to harm our lives, but he's saying God is the one who's actually in control. Put it this way, you go to the doctor and the doctor gives you bad news or your boss calls you in and he lays you off, and suddenly we feel anxious like life is out of control, but that bad moment is just revealing what was always true. You were never in control in the first place. You were always vulnerable. Anxiety wants to be in control, but that's not reality. And if you go backwards and reverse engineer it, your anxiety is actually telling you the truth that you're not in control and you were never supposed to be in the first place. Anxiety is telling us the truth, but it only tells it to us in part. We'll get into that next week, what the fullness of the truth is. Anxiety also, though, points us to solutions, 
that are only partial solutions. This is our third point for today. Anxiety is a misguided search for security and a hope for a certain kind of tomorrow. And Jesus hits on this throughout the passage. So look back at verse 19. Verse 19, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And then skip down to verse 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Okay, so so hear me real quick on this. Barns and laid up treasures are not just about luxury. First and foremost, they're about security. Storing up treasure in a barn is saying something could go wrong tomorrow and I want to be ready for it. I want some security. I think it's fascinating that in the financial investment world, a general term for stocks, bonds, and all kinds of investments is financial securities. Our anxiety craves security. We want to feel safe and stable. We know that the world that we're in is broken. We know that we are broken, but we look to all kinds of things to be a security blanket to try to make that brokenness go away. And the problem is none of them work. They can't ultimately quiet our nagging, anxious thoughts. In this passage, he specifically talks about looking to money and finances to provide us with this sense of security. If I just had enough, if I just had a little bit more, if my barns were a little more full, and then I got some more barns, and then I filled those up too, and then a third set of barns, just, you know, for wisdom's sake, obviously. And Jesus says, nah, that plan has a hole in it because thieves can break in and steal. And moth and rust can destroy whatever it is that you can store up for yourself. That won't actually give you the ultimate security that your anxiety is looking for. But the truth is we don't just do this with money. We do this with all kinds of things. We look to people and specifically romantic relationships for a sense of okayness and security about our unknown future. We we sing it in all kinds of love songs that go something like, as long as I've got you, everything will be okay. Well, that's, that's a lie that we tell our anxiety to try to make it be quiet. That's not actually true. And then the breakup comes and our whole sense of security is shattered. We look to jobs and careers for financial security, but also for an emotional sense of confidence and okayness with who we are, do we not? I'm doing something I'm good at. I'm contributing. I'm providing for me, and I've got enough to share a bit with those I love or those who are in need. And then the job disappears I don't know, say in a global pandemic or an accident happens and you lose your ability to work and all of a sudden you don't know who you are and the anxiety becomes overwhelming and you look after every big financial shutdown where tons of people get laid off, suicide rates skyrocket because we can't handle it. Our anxiety can't handle that insecurity. We look to our parents for security and then they get divorced or they have a midlife crisis and become someone we don't recognize. We look to our, our family and our kids for security. This one is particularly tempting for moms out there. The thought goes, as long as my kids and my family are okay, then I know I'm okay and everything will be all right. Or at least as long as my family looks good to others, then I feel a sense of security and okayness. But then you can't handle it when your kids fail to live up to your expectations because the truth is you turned them into an emotional barn to try to be a sense of security for you. They were never made to be that in the first place. I'll tell you a huge place that we look to for security and hope that happens to be pretty timely. We love to look to politics 
could be a promise for security and hope for a certain kind of tomorrow. I, I don't think it's an accident that God lined this passage up for this week right before the election. We're gonna be putting out a whole bunch of political resources on the sermon page and on social media in the upcoming weeks. Um, and I just wanted to speak really quickly into this idea with anxiety. Um, politicians and pol political parties know that anxiety makes us susceptible to fear-mongering and peddling false hopes. So what do they do? All of them, across the spectrum, they all promise a certain kind of tomorrow, a utopian future if you vote for them. And they play to your anxiety by promising you a dystopian future if you vote for the other guy. If you vote for that monster, the world's gonna fall apart. And the truth of the scriptures and the truth that our anxiety is trying to point us to is that the world's already broken. It's already broken. And none of these guys are gonna fix it all. Psalm 146 says, do not put your trust in princes. They cannot bring salvation. They can't bring salvation. Jesus alone brings Salvation. Jesus alone is our Prince of Peace. Revelation 21 promises that someday Jesus will bring his kingdom in full and all sin and all pain and all brokenness and all racism and all abuses of power will be gone forever. But until then, we vote and we pray and we debate ideas graciously and with an open hand because we know that Jesus is our security, not any election result. We'll get more into how we deal with our anxiety next week. But for today, I just want to leave us with one big encouragement that Jesus gives us three times in the passage, just like he tells us three times to not be anxious. First in verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Again, down in verse 28, Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And then finally in verse 31, he says, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Did you hear his refrain in that? It's the exact same refrain that Brandon showed us last week that Jesus started in the Lord's prayer. God of the universe is a good father and he's a powerful king and your anxiety needs him to start to unravel. Your anxiety needs to know that there is a God in the universe who does not need your help holding it together. He, he does not need your worried thoughts to add or take away a single hour from your life. You can literally sleep like a baby because in Jesus, you are God's adopted baby. And he will continue to keep the world moving forward until he eventually brings it to full redemption when his kingdom comes in full. We don't need to suppress our anxious and worried thoughts and feelings. We need to dig into them and find out what are the lies that we're believing about who God is and who we are and what he thinks about us. And almost always it's gonna come down to, we don't trust him to be in charge. We don't know that he's really good and he cares about us or we think life would be better if we were in charge. You start to deal with those lies, your anxiety starts to have a chance at unraveling. 
You know there are days when you can't figure out how to, how to reset your Netflix password, right? God, he's actively feeding more than 400 billion birds around the face of the planet. You can trust him. There are days you can't cook toast without burning it. God, he's setting a feast for the lilies and the sparrows. Now, he's not gonna let you believe that you're in charge and he is going to expose all of the false sources of security that you're looking at, but that's actually good news because the truth is you're not in charge and your false sources of security are false. They always fail. And Jesus never fails his promises. He always, always makes good on his word. We can trust him. Like I said, we'll deal with more of how to do that next week. But for this week, I just want to encourage you with, with my own story. Jesus has been unbelievably faithful to set me free from crippling anxiety, for, to, from slavery to anxiety disorders. I want, I want to end with a, with a parting word. If you are in that kind of middle layer of the mountain or at the top layer, if you're here dealing with more intense anxiety, I want to just say this to you so you don't, I know that these passages where Jesus says something like, do not be anxious, that can be really frustrating and feel really defeating, right? Like, oh, cool, thanks, Jesus. Like, it's not something I turn on and off like a light switch. Oh, yeah, cool, don't be anxious about anything. Neat. Well, now I'm anxious about my anxiety and my inability to get freed from it and I know it can be really frustrating. I've been there. I know. And I'm telling you, he is faithful and good as you press into it and as you dig. Now up here, we probably need to get some doctors involved. We're probably going to need some counseling. We're probably going to need some medication. It's not one or the other. Don't pit them against each other. That's such foolishness. There's spiritual reality and spiritual anxiety that we always need to be pressing into. And sometimes there's clinical disorders that we also need to press into with some medication. It's always gonna be Bible. It's always gonna be prayer. It's always gonna be community that point you back to God's love and the truth of who he is. And sometimes we need some extra stuff on top of that as well. If you need help, come talk to us. We'd love to get you help. But wherever you're dealing with anxiousness, Jesus wants to meet you in it and he wants to set you free from it. We can trust him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you see us and you love us and you know what we're going through, that nothing in 2020 has surprised you. And what great reassurance that is to, to our fickle little anxious minds and hearts that have been totally caught off guard by like a thousand things this year. God, as we head into an election, would you remind us that you are holding the world together? And our political activity, while important, is not the deciding factor in whether the world falls apart or not. God, for anyone who's really suffering right now with intense anxiety or they're loving someone who's going through intense anxiety and they don't know what to do, God, I pray that our church family would be a warm, safe, compassionate place that would engage them and help them get the help they need. And God, for those of us who are dealing with intense anxiety, please don't let us hide behind it try to shield you away or shield people away saying, well, it's, it's my problem and it's clinical and I can't get help. God, help us believe that, that there is help and freedom found in you. I pray in this season, God, would you make us a peace-filled people who are such a warm, welcome presence as neighbors, as coworkers, 
As, as family members, God, help us be filled with your peace that surpasses understanding. Help us share your joy and your love and your forgiveness and the gospel of your kingdom and your way of life. We pray it all in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.